remember movies in honor of a November without going to the theaters. What's a movie released in November 2019 that deserves a revisit? I'm Katie Rich, and I watched Charlie's Angels on a Plane, and I realize now that sounds like science fiction, but I did watch it in the period between when it came out in November 2019 and when you could fly and just chill out and watch a movie, and it was pretty good. And Case 2 has this like all great big lesbian energy, and then Sam Claflin, who's also an Enola Holmes, so I feel like maybe everyone's coming on to The Secret, but I feel like he's really leaning into this like early version of what Jude Law is doing, where like you're blonde and handsome, but you play a really shitty bad guy very well, so enjoy when does it. does Jude Law do that? In Anna Karenina. Oh, okay. I'm at Patches. I'm going to go with Honey Boy. Where was Shia's Oscar? Watch this movie on Amazon. Come on. Good movie. It is. <laughs> hey, it's me, David the Seven. And I think I've said this in the past couple of weeks, but Dr. Sleep Director's Cut is worth a yeah. watch if you're still feeling spooky. That's on HBO Now in the extras section under Dr. Sleep Director's Cut. Uh, and I am David Ehrlich, and looking at the list now, uh, there really isn't all that much to recommend from November of last year. I guess the Irishman counts, but I will go with a movie most people listening to this podcast have probably already seen, which is Knives Out. How fun would it be if you could safely go to the theater right now and see a movie like that with a full house? Uh, Katie, I believe you were there with me at the TIFF premiere. Were you there? Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, one of my one, a truly great full house movie going experience. Really was. Rock is screening. Every line killed. There was that feeling of this is a very good movie that will play well everywhere, but it will never play as well as it is in this room right now. But I bet it plays uh, really well at home, too. Also, David, what are you doing with your microphone? I know. Juggling it. I'm juggling it. I've taken up juggling during quarantine, and I've started with my microphone while we record. Get over it. David's Let's so start, happy he start the podcast. He just kept wanting to touch it. I bought three. <laughs> I plugged them all in at the same time. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's a Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 324, Pandemic 34. It's the week of Wednesday, November 3rd, 2020. That is the day that in 2020, Americans felt weird, probably. Today's Monday as we record this. I feel like we have to be really clear about that from the start. We're going to feel weird Wednesday, November 3rd, either way. Yeah, I mean, but the we good think... news is, I don't <laughs> Wednesday, think, November like, 4th. unlike the last Wednesday, time... November 4th, actually, yeah. November 3rd is Tuesday, election day. Unlike, Every... the, unlike the last yeah, November 4th. presidential election, where I felt like it was definitive what happened. When this podcast comes out after the election has happened, I feel like it's not going to be over. I think a right? really, so a really productive thing to do right now is predict what's going to happen 24 <laughs> hours from now. Okay, uh, yeah, good no idea. David, you go first. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> the election has happened, so what was wrong uh, good now? Uh, or? You know what? Let's just preserve this moment in amber, and uh, we'll come back to it later. And uh, We Let's decided it was a good idea to record this, even though it would be released after the episode and or after the election. And um, I guess TBD, whether or not this is a good idea. Well, I, I think the spirit now. is that this is the last day for the foreseeable future we can count on. And business, the term business as usual has been modified this year. Uh, but relative <laughs> to what life has been like in 2020, I think this is the last day in the foreseeable future that we can count on any kind of business as usual. And so it felt like... Uh, it felt like it would be a premature surrender to all of the chaos potentially to come if we just threw in the towel on this Monday. Yeah, my election live show got shot down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was We're going to do a pa- 
I'm going to do a pandemic check-in, which is basically pandemic slash election week check-in. Just a free-flowing conversation Ooh. about media and how we're feeling. And hopefully this is something that you feel like listening to. Uh, you know, and however the election goes, uh, Katie Rich, who I continue to be proud of, is going out at four o'clock tomorrow morning or four thirty. I'm sorry to take four, away that well, it's at five. I have to wake up at four thirty. It's, it's uh, not a far drive. And what are you doing at four thirty tomorrow morning in North Carolina? I am hanging door hangers on people's doors to tell them, like pre- presumably people who have not yet voted, just to tell them that it's election day. What I'm hoping is that they don't like see on their ring doorbell that there's someone outside and like shoot me i don't think mm-hmm. that's gonna happen like it's meeting with a group of people so there'll be power and be gone by the time they came i mean the I notification so. that you get on the ring do you, doorbell is not do you think a group of people is less threatening I, than one katie rich I'm ho- i wonder if they'll give me like an orange vest or something so it's clear because like I, it's cold i gotta wear like a big coat i don't know I, hopefully i can report back on how this goes but yeah you know they the ring asked doorbells me don't like shoot electricity at you <laughs> Uh, they don't have like a poison right? dart no. that's just gonna knock me over. Someone would have to get out of bed. No, I've encountered a decent number of ring doorbells as I've been doing canvassing. I mean, the nice thing about this is I don't have to talk to people. Like anyone who I've talked to in canvassing, even in the last like week in like phone calls or anything, they're all just so tired of being talked to. And yeah. Dave, you live in a swing state, but I don't think it's quite as intense. I think Colorado is more solid. Like North Carolina has just been like barrage. Like and I think if you haven't voted, you were just getting hit by every possible I, group. I secretly live in the in the biggest swing state of them all because I ha- still have my Philadelphia. Oh phone yeah, number. your phone number. Yeah. yeah. Do you even pick gotten, up the phone? I've gotten eight thousand spam risk calls. I don't know if that's related, but are you still registered week, in Pennsylvania? No, I'm not registered. Uh, patches. I don't think that... I could live in New York for fourteen years and still be registered. <laughs> in Pennsylvania. That, that would I think be like Eric Trump would be listening to this podcast and report you. If uh, you but I still have that. my number, so I'm getting just tons of texts thinking that I I belong. Uh, Text them back. They will remove you from the list. Those are real people. I can't. That's so hard. No. What? Oh, my God. Wait, Katie, I was just saying about how we shouldn't spend this episode predicting uh, what's (laughs) going to happen in the next little bit. But I am curious, just based on your experience on the ground there in North Carolina, in all the various efforts. Right. No, in all the various efforts uh, that you have partaken in over the last few weeks, uh, which way, if you feel one way or the other, the wind is blowing. I mean, I live in a very blue county, apparently the bluest county in the state. But as I tweeted on Sunday, like we have already, we exceeded our 2016 turnout entirely in early voting. So that's a really good sign. Mm. Like my pet theory, and not just for here, but everywhere, is that the amount of turnout that's happening, like, and that's happening everywhere. Like Texas has already exceeded its vote count. That has to be good for Democrats. Like it just seems like the more people vote, the more Democrats win. And also like Democrats have more reason to be enthusiastic to vote. Don't but I don't know. Also that could... go out and vote. I am always confused. Yeah, no, Republicans get out and vote, but I I just feel like the like the vote him out energy is greater than the well, MAGA energy. Based on my Twitter and Instagram feeds, um such like huge support in New York. Everyone I know went out and voted. I really think they're gonna swing it blue this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh congratulations. Looking looking pretty good. Dave, how does Denver feel? Um, it feels, it feels okay. Um, uh, the cool thing is Colorado might reach its highest voters, voter turnout ever, which I think if we, we're, if we're on pace for this, uh, 80, 80% of eligible voters will vote in this election. And it would be the first is, state to ever reach that benchmark, I think. Yeah, it would be insane if that happened. And that part at least is exciting because presidential race aside, 
like democracy on the local level really is an averaging of the opinions of your community. Yeah. So I'm very excited. I was very excited when I heard that uh, Colorado does all mail-in ballots. So I was very excited when I heard that um, already 75% of uh, Democrats had returned their ballots as of mid last week. Uh, so I think it's all showing up and it's good. Uh, today, uh, Mondays we record this, uh, my city council is meeting and my city council person is once again trying to put up a um, bill that would, uh, I guess it's not technically a bill, but um, legal action that would defund the Denver Police Department and move some of that money to picking up trash and uh, managing homeless services. So it's going to be an interesting time of activism if everybody who decided to engage this time sticks around for any issue, really, Mm -hmm. uh, beyond president. So no matter which way the president goes. Robo-com. See, the key is don't build the first RoboCop. Yeah, that's, that's what we're trying to... That's what we're trying he to didn't guys. choose to get gunned down. He wasn't built whole cloth. I'm not blaming the RoboCop. I'm blaming the system that gave us RoboCop patches. Okay, I'm just saying. Maybe mm. if he was RoboNurse, it would be a lot better. Well, I mean, I also, servant, I'm as... I'm as against RoboCop as buying anything for a dollar. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm believing... The same system. I'm buying into your argument. He didn't have to be... You, just because you get shot up in an alley and they rebuild you with the technology doesn't mean they had to have rebuilt him as a cop. Exactly. They could have mm, rebuilt him as... Uh, a social worker. Yes. Someone who could process papers But was he faster. trained to be a social worker? Like, if they're maintaining the humanity in there, like, is he going to be able to do the job well? I mean, if he was trained as a cop, I feel like he could be trained as a, as a paper pusher and uh, programmed to be a social yeah, if you're a cyborg, you just download the social work instead of the exactly. excessive force, That's and true. then you're a robo social worker. That's true. Uh, but I think robo social yeah, workers feel, 2020. That's, a, that's, that's a, a reboot. That's the, the reboot future liberals need. want. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm into. Uh, I'm into. That's the positive feeling in Denver uh, right now. Otherwise, I think we're gonna go uh, blue for Biden. Uh, by a narrow margin, but I think it's going to work out. And you, then you're going to get rid of your, de- your Republican senator. I feel like that's going to happen too. Now remember, yeah. this is in the future, guys. Let's not that's let's true. not worry too much about what happened. Let's think about you know. I've been steps. watching. I've been watching this week. Uh, Elisa and I finally started watching uh, the Good Fight, which is yes. on. Uh, wow, the, the the catching up on all these things I begged us to talk <laughs> about, like. Two years ago. Well, in order to watch The Good Fight, you have to find the girl from Waterworld and discover the map on her back and then follow that to the ends of the world so there's land and then dig deep under the beach. Uh, no, and you just have to run out of Star Trek to watch. That's true, too. But I, I mean, even now on my Apple TV that we have found a way to successfully subscribe to it, I still do not know how to access the show other than by searching for it. I cannot get there through this the This is what CBS Siri can help you with, but All access. You no, just we, say we do not believe fight. we do not believe in virtual assistants in this home. No Alexa, no Siri. That's a hard rule. But uh, uh, we named the, our child Sam, and Siri often thinks that we're talking to her. So it's um, disturbing. So it's, um, yeah, it was, it was but, a bad choice. What's interesting about watching the Good Fight now, even though we're four years into the the Trump era, is that it. We were talking about looking forward, and here is the first show, the first narrative show, of any kind. Certainly, the first like, procedural in this way that really looks back at the recent history. And for what I'm watching the first season now, what was really the, the present at the time. I was uh, it wasn't looking back when it came out. which is a Right. I mean, now part. it feels like, you know, one of the few shows that currently exists that 
looks back somewhat lucidly in the same perspective we show now at the Trump era, but at the time it was just meeting the moment head on. Uh, and it's really interesting to see this legal show um, that is, you know, unapologetically, uh, and I'm only five episodes in, I can imagine this, this trend continues, grappling with the effects of the Trump era. I mean, Christine Baranski joins a black law firm in Chicago. And okay, quick note about this. Uh, well, two things about it. First, that law firm is run by Delroy Lindo, who I did not know was in this show. And it's just like a fucking champion. And it's going to be probably Oscar really nominated this year for Defied Bloods. But like, always so happy to see him in anything and to learn as I was watching it, that he is a lead role in like a show that is now run for like, a, you know, 80 episodes, whatever it is, 40 episodes. Uh, makes me makes me so, so and happy. Later in the show, Audra McDonald joins the show. That I actually knew somehow, but I did not know about Delroy Lindo. Again, CBS All Access. Uh, my, my second point on that is that if I had grown up on Mars and never been to America, let alone, or Earth, let alone America, I would still be able to tell you from watching 15 seconds of the show that it was shot in New York City and not Chicago. And it is absolutely psychotic how little effort they put into hiding that fact. That's because the most Empire people State don't Building don't is care. in the background no, of certain no, It is. It is. No. This is, this is, there's also eight seasons of The Good Wife that did the exact same thing. It was really funny because every all the guest stars are also Broadway people so you like you it's so obvious if you live in new york it's like so much crazy well the good wife i have only seen some episodes of and it's not imperative that you've watched especially i watched with elisa who has seen the good wife and she can fill me in but it doesn't seem imperative to follow yeah, what's no. happening on the good fight which stars rose leslie um and then she you know, around her are a lot of people from the good wife but that show was i think had a lower budget maybe or or was really just about interiors i think it just didn't give the game away as much as this show unapologetically does. And it is like truly baffling to me. But other than that, it's been a very, very enjoyable first five episodes and just a really interesting reckoning with the Trump era in like, you know, this black law firm is fucked over immediately by Trump's DOJ. And that's right from the start. And it's purely out of pettiness. And you realize, you know, as privileged as these particular characters are, just how far and wide this president's pettiness has rippled in ways beyond the headlines, you know, not just in the things that have become talking points, but just on a day-to-day -day basis, the stories will never know. You know, yes, the good fight is fiction, but uh, it is very believable in how these characters continue to have to maneuver around Trump's policies and his ego. And uh, boy, uh, I hope that the show outlasts that president and they can pivot towards something else in the back half. Are they, but, like, uh, renewed for another season and shooting and all that stuff? They are. I don't know if they've been shooting, but there is going to be a season five that is the one that is currently in some form of production. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been it's been good so far. And, Katie, I think we had mentioned off pod uh, we were going to talk about The Queen's Gambit. Has anyone else seen The Queen's Gambit? I've uh, seen, like, ha ha a little over half of it. What's your feeling so far? I really like it. Um, what what is a the lot Queen's of... Gambit? Oh, that's a good question. Okay. <laughs> Queen's Gambit is a Netflix seven episode miniseries based on a novel of the same name that follows a uh, chess prodigy orphan addict 
Wait, she's addicted to orphanages. She's an addict. She's addicted to chess. <laughs> being, she's playing addicted orphans. to orphans. Okay. She's addicted to playing chess. But with then orphans. she meets the robo social worker. Turns it all around. Mm-hmm. And it takes place in the '60s, so the whole white pieces, black pieces, really press mm. to the forefront. Only in the uh, only no, in the uh, only in the first episode, they really. Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm joking. Uh, it's about she is a addict who is also a chess prodigy who is also an orphan, and we follow her uh, through like the '60s as she uh, works her way up the competitive chess ladder, beating the boys. Yeah, it's funny though love. because the her chess guru is not that much stranger than the robo social worker uh, we imagine in the show. It's a janitor played by Bill Camp. Mm. He's like a taciturn guy, and we love we love Bill we, Camp. Oh yeah, we Put in Bill this Camp house. and Delroy Lindo together, and we are in yeah. business. But he is like just this taciturn janitor in the basement, and very gruff, and he starts playing chess with this this drug addicted orphan eight year old girl, and uh, um, and was she addicted cotton's... to drugs when she was eight years old? Y- yes, she becomes yes. addicted to downers at the uh, at the orphanage because mm. in the sixties that they have this giant candy jar mid-50s. full in the mid fifties they have this giant candy jar full of drugs that they hand out um and that's what gets her hooked on them and then Ugh. going forward she it's like a confidence thing for her she needs them to fog up her mind and she's better at chess that way um but uh man i this show for one thing it it unearthed a lot of deeply repressed memories i had about being uh regrettably not a prodigy but a like travel chess player when i would in like fourth grade Whoa. i would travel around the country Playing chess, and I—I I do think this is this brand is, new information. No, in this show. is the part of David that we that got hint to about Vegas. occasionally. Yeah, that got to Vegas. And no, I, but, no, I, I, I think I was probably—I mean, poker in some respects takes—it's a different skill set. Uh, it's not a full rain man. It's like a misty man. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm all that good at poker, but I was probably better at poker than I was at chess. But it's hard. It's hard to say. I was like, how old were you when you were a traveling chess player? Fourth grade. I was the so the way that chess ratings work, and this is what really resurfaced all this in the show because I had totally forgotten so much of this information and the experiences that went along with it. But as they explained the show, kind of chess ratings, um, they go from the the three triple digits to you're in grandmaster territory above two thousand or eighteen hundred. Um, I think my rating probably capped out around fifth. Uh, 1400 but under a thousand or under 1200 one of the two you're in the reserved section which means like you're done <laughs> like you're you're like good for trying it but uh it's not it's not working out for you you're in the b team and i was the connecticut state champion of the reserved section so i was like the captain of the b team which was basically my uh <laughs> my my mode in a variety I of different activities when i was that age i was the captain of the, i was literally the captain of the b team of the hockey team it was always that for me it was like you're not good enough to actually play with the people who take like this actually matters um and they can do something with this but uh you are just good enough to be frustrated that you're not better and that was that was sort of me with chess, but yeah, I would my my dad would take me wow. with uh, with my yeah the people from Connecticut. Uh, there were some heavy hitters on that team. Um, it was uh, it's all coming back to me. Were now. you around like children of like like chess legacies? Like, no, like, I was around children who I will not name of Hollywood legacies uh, who mm. were also playing chess. But um, 
Yeah, I'd have chess lessons in my house all the time. I remember the the names and coming back to me, the faces of the these men who would come over, and I had I, I didn't have the ability at that age to picture what their lives were like outside of our sessions, and now I do, and I wish I could know them now in a way, especially after watching the Queen's Gambit. But of course, I love searching for Bobby Fischer at that age, and uh, the Queen's Gambit is really the first thing that's come along since that has uh, made chess cool again in any capacity. Um, but wow. uh, it, yeah, I mean, and I've been playing on my on my phone the, this chess app uh, since watching the show, and uh, it's a great skill to have. I really can't wait to teach Asa how to play, and you know, he will quickly learn how to beat me, and it'll be a great circle of life moment. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of memories are really just starting to leak out. But the Queen's Gambit, is, I, I thought, was was strong, watchable. Um, who, who wrote Scott Frank? Scott Frank, Scott, right? Yeah, he made uh, he made the show on Netflix that I never watched, the Western um, called Godless. God's Country. Godless, and uh, the one with Mary. Yeah, I, I don't think and, right? right, and I don't yeah. think this is like a profound work of fiction or anything, but. First, it has one of my favorite qualities that a Netflix show can have, which is that it's absolutely beautiful and look expensive as fuck. Um, it I was going to say a young uh, woman with giant eyes. I thought that was gonna no, it does have mm. that in Anya Taylor-Joy, who uh, is really having a hell of a year between this and her already underrated performance in Emma, which New I means. think is really just oh. stellar. No, I've done her the favor of never having pretended to even think about that movie. Uh, but uh, she's excellent in this, plays sort of a... Um, you know, withdrawn spectrum-y type performance uh, and yet finds a lot of ways of expressing herself, even though she is sort of in this isolated mode for a lot of the the seven-episode run. I do think the show probably, and I wish, Dave, you're halfway through and maybe you can speak to this when you're done. I wish that it had actually slowed down a little bit and taken a little bit more time, which is the opposite complaint that people have. I was just going to ask if, like, I think, the, the hurdle for me on this one is it just doesn't seem like something I want to sit through seven episodes of. And I haven't heard anyone talk about mm. like why it's seven episodes. And knowing that Scott Frank was involved makes me think that it used to be a two-hour movie script um, that got turned into a Netflix project because that's how it would get made. But uh, Yeah, I, it doesn't feel episodes. that way. But it does feel... It's just, you know, it, it, a lot is happening. A lot of years are going by. Um, you know, it covers almost two decades in this person's life, although most of the show takes place in a more concentrated period of time. And there's just a lot going on. And there is a, a great, it's one of those things where like the last episode has an emotional payoff that has kind of sneaks up on you and it, it isn't over the top about it. But I do think that a little bit less of a paperback beach read pace may have served this if it had leaned, maybe this is just a period setting that's making me think this, but if it leaned a little bit more into the Mad Men kind of approach but uh you know it's still it's still high quality candy um and you know, tv now more than ever i gotta finish we are who we are which is uh or we are what we are, we are, we are. i'm five episodes in i think it's fantastic i just uh i'm trying to take that one slowly uh tv man it's not as bad as tv still not, good no nah, i mean still good anymore. i don't know but not not as bad as, not as bad as they say all the time still pretty <laughs> yeah. bad there's a new below deck season starting tonight. The future is looking up for now. <laughs> yeah, who needs to talk about the election? We're beyond the election. There's there's more television coming out soon. Like there's so much to think about. 
We'll talk about this later, but the, the crown is kind of lingering is my thing to look forward to everyone talking about after the election because it's coming out, I think, like the 15th, the 17th. Like enough distance from the election that we would hope that we know how it turns out at that point. And like maybe there will be some bandwidth to talk about Princess Diana for a while, which like, God almighty, I want to talk about Princess what? Diana. I, this is what I can't get over with this season. It just seems like Wait, no, whoa, most... whoa, 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 whoa. Why are we talking we're about not talking about not spoiling. The, like, not why are we talking about it at all now? It doesn't like come out for hyped. three weeks. We're looking ahead. These are the things we're anticipating. Patches is trying to defame the memory of Princess Diana. Yeah, I'm about on the to show. drag. I don't know what's going on. Do you guys Diana remember where you were? I have some space. Open, open. Quick question. Do I remember where, so where, where I was when I found Princess Diana died? When Princess Diana died? Definitely. I don't remember where I, I remember was. exactly where I was. She died. I remember watching the funeral on TV. I was in a X Files chat room on America Online. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> Talking about X Files, and everyone was like, "Stop." Princess Diana just died. Can and I, then we all started ah, talking about Princess Diana. I was Diana. at my second cousin's bar mitzvah, and I will never forget as long as I live, four months later, that Christmas, I was on a family vacation with another family. I actually literally cannot remember whom. And there was a daughter of that family. It was around my age. And I will never forget as long as I live in the middle of a wall in the conversation in front of like my whole family. She was like, did you guys hear about Princess Diana? And I was like, like that, that she died? And she was like, yeah. It's very funny because it was like, I, like the way she said it made it sound as if there was like some more nuanced information that had come out about like how. Did the, she really think that you didn't know? It was, it was just very funny to me. I always, it always stick with me. It would be like, wow. you know, if right now you'd be like, you guys hear about this Trump guy who won the election in 2016. It's been wild. <laughs> Anyway, Pat, just uh, yeah, spoil we'll the new the season no, I, for us. No, all I was going to say is, is I feel like the, the Princess Diana is, is such gossip fodder in some ways, continues to be uh, an area of interest for everything from the prestigious Vanity Fair to like the tabloid magazines you see in the grocery store. We still can't stop talking about Princess Diana. So now that this show is entering this territory... I don't know. It, it feels like a, a black hole in some ways. So I'm excited for people to see the season, to see how it plays out. <laughs> Aren't you excited for a black hole with no stakes, though? Like, isn't that what we deserve? <laughs> but there are stakes. I mean, Princess Diana is a complicated woman. She got married at the age of 19. Sure, sure but she's dead. True. And therefore, <laughs> like, is it going to hold, like, political power? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what it feels like now on the other side of the tunnel. If we're ever going to be excited for like kings and queens and dynasties. Don't use stories. a tunnel metaphor when talking about Princess oh, Diana. It's very Anyway, yes, the, the crown is on the way. But um, what have you all if, been watching? If J.D. Vance... Can I talk about... The... <laughs> oh my God, we're going to talk about Hillary I was just going to say, you know, no. relative to... You're talking about making a show about someone who's dead and that being low stakes. And I was just going to say, if J.D. Vance has taught us anything... J.D. Vance's Twitter feed has taught us anything. It's that uh, you should only tell stories about dead people because they can't tweet and uh, ruin all of your hard work. Wow. Hillbilly Elegy review coming at some point. Um, I want to talk about the thing that I'm watching or have watched recently that brings me nostalgia. Not quite like David's, but uh, I, for the Hollywood section of VF.com, um, they're putting together like things to watch on election night that aren't the election returns. And like, I'm still not sure exactly how I'm going to handle it, but I don't think I'm going to be able to you tune out enough. But I recommended put that together. Yes. For oh election I can't, night. I can't time travel. I'm too tired before. to time travel. Which was in the yesterday times. in our time travel heads. <laughs> yes. 
Um, anyway, I recommended Designing Women, which is on Hulu and which I watched. I think it, it premiered in 1986. So I was like a little young for it when it started. I think I mostly watched it in Lifetime reruns. Um, but it contains great nostalgia for me, not only because it's like an 80s sitcom and we all have that, but like the women on the show dress like the women that I grew up with who are friends with my mom. They talk like the women I grew up with who are friends with my mom. They're much more clever. There was no Dixie Carter in my life and like God knows who I would be as a result of it. Um, but it's great. It's like the best, like comforting, like sort of retrograde like the second episode i watched tonight like is about one of them dating a fat guy and how she just like couldn't deal with the idea of dating a fat guy and everyone was like oh yeah no i get it like you can't do that and you're like mm, all right but there's like many famous dixie carter monologues where she like sticks up for women or for you know people of color or all kinds of things that felt very ahead of their time in the 80s um so comfort. yeah, designing women. <laughs> I might really go to. I like. I've never really understood how people are just like. I'm going through all the old episodes of Mash because like, who has time? Everyone's like, watching Columbo. Got, like, yeah, <laughs> or like um, original Perry Mason. I, maybe you can even I mean, find I've that. I've watched um, all of I just always feel like twice, so I don't know what to tell you. Uh, see, there you go. I just always feel like I'm behind and I have new yeah, stuff but a lot to of watch. New stuff but is uh, bad, so that's true. the excuse. Wait, yes. Patches, how oh, much yeah, murder I mean, she wrote is there? There are. Thirteen? No, twelve seasons, and each wow. one's like twenty-two oh episodes. And those are hour longs, oh, yeah. right? Well, I mean, they're network hour long, so they're only forty. Well, this was the great thing about watching Designing Women on Hulu is they're like, they're pure twenty-two minutes long. Those episodes are over by the time they now, here's start. The like even Ted Lasso, I think, was like longer than that in the, the investment. Although Ted Lasso is definitely on my list to actually uh, finish. But, but before you get off Designing Women, who did the women in Designing Women all vote for in the uh, twenty twenty election? Oh, I mean, I need. I have not revisited long enough oh. to like really get a grip on That's it. Like, uh, Julia Sugarbaker definitely voted for Biden. <laughs> That's good. I don't know. Like, I feel like uh, maybe all four of them talk to each other. Like, they're like the suburban women who are turned off by Trump. So maybe they'd all be Biden. Please like Georgia me, suburban blue. women. We're going to credit Julia Sugarbaker. <laughs> <laughs> did they say like, love me, suburban women, love me, or like, what did he say? He said something really dumb. I mean, he's just begging for suburban women to like him. But can I, Katie, can I ask you an unrelated question that appeals to your interests? Yeah. Um, I was just looking at the, the movies of the year. More of us have seen Mank now. Um, <laughs> I, I, We're still not supposed to talk about Mank, by the way. But I find it amusing that, uh, well, I mean, no yeah, spoilers. We're talking, no spoilers about Mank. But like, Katie, just in the Oscar sense, like this seemed like the year that after coming so close and falling short for a number of years in a row that Netflix was finally going to win Best Picture if, in fact, we do actually have the Oscars. And now I, I'm starting to feel like Nomadland might have this in the bag, uh, which is not a Netflix mm. movie. So uh, do you think, you know, this year that was designed for Netflix to win Best Picture – do you think that they'll be able to pull it off, or is? It- Are you saying? I think we actually made this joke before that Netflix started COVID. I'm not going to make the same joke again. <laughs> um, um, do you? Yeah. It, what is that? What is that going to mean for Netflix's ongoing efforts to win a Best Picture? It will Oscar? be hilarious if anything but a Netflix movie doesn't win Best Picture. And like, I figured maybe there's at least a couple of Oscar voters who would agree with me. Um, I mean, No Man Lane would be a weird Best Picture winner, but so was Parasite. So. I don't know. And especially this year, who knows what the rules are. But I think you've got a point that, like, Mank is for people who have TCM. 
and Trial of Chicago 7 is for dads. And yeah, then, like, those I know are definitely there, too. But we are not close <laughs> to the award season. The award season is just, like, Normally, we would be. Excuse me, but I, I just got You guys are living in another that. universe talking about awards. Uh, are you not wishing that they hadn't pushed back the Oscars at this point, David? Like, it now feels really pointless now that nothing is well, opening in January. Katie, like the Hulk always says, my secret is that I always think the Oscars are pointless. So it, uh, <laughs> it doesn't really matter uh, to me. Um, but it will be even more... Because usually when we start talking about this, it feels frivolous, yes, but somehow right in the ecosystem in which we are. I mean, we've been to these fall festivals and it's like you, you're in, the machine is in motion and you understand why in October you're beginning to have those conversations. Now... Sure. No, now it's really. It feels like you're talking about something on the other side of a mirror dimension, you know? Yes. Um, I want to emphasize that you're correct. It does. (laughs) Mark Harris tweeted something that was like, for the Oscar voters I've talked to, literally the only thing they've asked is, will we get screeners? I cannot (laughs) emphasize the extent to which this season does not exist for them. Yeah. (laughs) Which is true. Um, And And probably right. It is right. That's good. Why would it matter right now? We have so much. Yeah, I mean, we are, for perspective, we are relative to a current uh, regular Oscar season, rather currently in August. So maybe yeah. it will... we we would have just gotten the tip. Yeah, so maybe it will feel different in late December or January. Um, I think a lot of it will hinge on what happens tomorrow. Yes. Um, I think you know one thing to consider. Right, yesterday, I think a lot uh, something to consider is um, how much the future of the movie industry as we know it is potentially at stake in this election. Um, not only yeah. because the health of the country, like our physical well-being, is riding, uh, is on the ballot, so to speak. Um, but, you know, also the, the interest in the arts, the willingness to bail out movie theaters, the ability to get over the hump of this pandemic and get movie theaters open again i mean like so many of these are open questions that uh the election is going to answer one way or the other so i don't know yeah there's a lot of things like work-wise that like i don't know are kind of pointless to talk about at this point but it's a lot of like well, can we just figure that out this out after the election like it feels really impossible to do any of this until then and some stuff you can't punt but a lot of stuff feels like you just should because you don't know what world you're gonna live in but the, yeah, the watching like a lesser Less of a reason to punt for me, but well, yeah, the the, yeah. the act of watching, the act of engaging in movies and culture <laughs> that doesn't go away. The, the awards, but like, what are although we, I will say, it's about a long lead thing. Like, what are we going to want in January? I, it's really hard to know. I, you know. Part of the disconnect here for me is that like I'm on a Gotham jury that is you know meeting and selecting our nominees next week, and like there are uh, the New York Film Critics Circle is that's fine. Movies came out in December. Go do yeah, it. I know. It's just that these things always go hand in hand with the Oscars, and so it is a weird. It's like you know, half your brain is in year end mode, and half is not. Um, are the Gotham's keeping the the yearly yes. schedule, or are they moving they up? Okay, interesting. So New York really stuck it to the Oscars, and everyone else fell in line. I mean, I don't know what, how what how one thing affected the other, but New York and the Gotham's are both doing the calendar year. I want to. I want to bring this conversation to a more urgent place. Um, is that possible? Could there be a more urgent here, place? Here we go. This is, I, need to, I need to blow up this whole conversation. Um, this weekend, I watched a film that I think has changed my mind about a, a, a particular genre, and I need a lot of feedback here because I'm maybe I'm going soft. I don't know what's I don't know what's happening to me. But is this me about holidays? Uh, I watched Spooky Buddies. Okay, so Spooky Buddies is a spinoff of Air Bud, 
which is then a spinoff. Oh of God, no, the no! Don't describe the buddies movies as a spinoff as Airbud. They're different things. No, no, they are. Uh, there's a credit in the opening credits that say it's based on the character Airbud. Now I understand that Airbud spun off the Buddies franchise, and Spooky Buddies is a sequel in that franchise. I'll establish that. Yes, the same people are making money off of it, but in terms of what they're the doing, buddies with are the young dogs. dogs that are clearly genetically related to Airbud. The point that I want to make Why? here Why? is... Why? What, what makes you think they're genetically related? The clearly same breed. Genetically and they're the, it's part of the... They have Bud in their name. They're the Buddies, <laughs> and he's Air Bud. Bud is, is a surname. They're all members of the Bud family. All right, you describe what this is, and then I'll tell you why you're <laughs> okay. wrong about my, that initial My surname. point here is that Spooky Buddies uh, is a Halloween movie starring a bunch of dogs who don't get as much screen time as I would have hoped, but the good news is... Uh, while the main five buddy dogs don't get as much time, there's actually a sixth dog who uh, is actually killed in the beginning of the movie and becomes a ghost who haunts a mansion, and it's all about bringing him back to life. The human in this movie is Harland Williams from um, Mission to... Wait, what's that movie where he goes to Mars, Dave? And he farts in his uh, his, <laughs> his spacesuit, and he sings uh, the whole world. You know what I'm talking about? Harland Williams. <laughs> Uh, I got the whole world in my hands. He sings that song from Mars. You know what I'm talking about? I think uh, he's, I'm Googling he's, things. Uh, he's, uh, Rocket Man. Rocket Man. He's, Harlan Williams. He's the six minute abs guy from There's Something About Mary. That's all you yes, know. Yes, that's right. Um, he's actually pretty funny guy. Pretty funny guy. Um, anyway, he is an evil warlock in Spooky Buddies who needs to capture the souls of five dogs to bring about uh, hell upon Earth in his town. And using a magic mirror. Anyway, the point that I want to make is maybe movies where you just have like a bunch of dogs doing tricks is a great form of entertainment. I think I've heard a lot of mm. David talking about cheap kids entertainment being like bad um, and being worried about showing kids kind of stupid movies. But mm. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to redefine like what is a stupid kids movie a bit if the joy of it is getting dogs to go from like point a to point b and they talk with cg mouths and maybe there's joy in that maybe there's joy in the precision of training dogs to do different things that aren't like dangerous i don't think PETA would be on the ass of spooky buddies um even though they're you know they're ramping up like they want more cg animals in this world and i understand why but i think getting animals to do cute things and like act like they're talking is a worthwhile form of entertainment. So I'm going to endorse Spooky Buddies and hopefully the other Buddies mm. movies in the franchise. Mm. Did you watch this with your child and what did she think? Definitely watch it with my child. I didn't your just child watch it. Your child who dressed up as uh, Totoro for Halloween. That's true. Uh, yeah. By choice, off, by choice. Showed off much better taste than her father is currently facing <laughs> on the podcast. Pat- <laughs> Patches is definitely not me, the person who has seen two on full Buddies movies and d- does not have children. But has anybody seen MVP, Most Valuable Primate, about I, have not, I, I will I not watch a hockey movie. No. Hockey. If That's the dogs did hockey, would not, we would not be watching. Wow. Um, I, I think I would also Airbus be. Did hockey. Uh, anything that's not a dog, I have real problems with. Airbud. Um, in terms of an- animal performance. Mm-hmm. Because dogs are like working dogs. You know, you have like, they like competitions, they like herding sheep. All they that like sort having of a job. They like having a job. Like if you read, like uh, there was a recent oral history of the show Wishbone that was released at oh, some yeah, point. Texas Monthly. Did that. It was yeah, 
And it's like that dog seems like it had a great life and like loved doing its work and everybody. Yeah, it's like basically being in a much. dog show that they're filming. Okay, yeah. I, I have some breaking news. Okay, oh, Airbud never is... played hockey. Oh, oh. Airbud never played okay. hockey. Oh, okay. okay, okay. There are five. <laughs> stop. No, no, no! Shut up! Stop! Let me to make a point. Did, okay. You thought David got the election yeah. results? <laughs> Something like that. I got an embargo. Like, Airbud is president really now. We wrote him in. Airbud is president. <laughs> All right, all right. Point I was trying to make, number one, uh, dogs are okay, but anything else, they fucking beat them to get it. Like, if you've ever seen a monkey do anything humanly, that, like, that so monkey... So Dunson they, checks in they torture that is a war crime. I mean, I, there's... It's <laughs> very hard for me to not look at movies like that as war crimes yeah. at this point. Well, uh, Peter would agree yeah. with you. They just issued a statement, actually, to bring this into relevant news. Um, last week, Why the Last Man started filming the FX show... And PETA issued a, a positive statement because at first, the, because they've shot this pilot twice or they're about to shoot it twice. And the first <laughs> version of the pilot used an actual monkey uh, for the mm. best friend character or the sidekick character. And um, the second version of this pilot is using a CG monkey after PETA applied much pressure to them. Um, and that's a huge win. And uh, this is something that's... I feel that's like funny. there's no need, like, especially in a show well, like, money. like I don't know a ton about Why the Last Man, but I know the monkey is a major character. And like, if you need to have a monkey on oh, camera that much, like that's got to create a huge logistical production headache. Like it's expensive to have real animals. And like, we saw also the Planet of the Apes movies, like they can do a pretty good yeah, monkey. His dark materials. Yeah. Why not? Are, his dark materials be... did really well. In terms of believability. Okay, second point I wanted to make. Patches, does Airbud ever talk? No, Airbud does not talk. That, no. Do the Air Buddies talk? talk? Yes, they do talk. They have Do the Air Buddies ever play basketball? They don't really do sports, no. So it seems like <laughs> you've been tricked into thinking this franchise is related. <laughs> but outside of the Air Buddies claiming that they are offspring of Bud... Uh, I I still think like calling them a, a series. I don't think it's the Airbud series. Airbud Buddies is its own thing. Well, to be Digital fair, uh, in puppies. the original Buddies movie, Air Buddies, yes. they are they are Buddies Golden Retriever puppies. Yes. So Golden Receivers. I've been yes. led to understand. If I'm even just clicking through Wikipedia here, uh, Air Buddies, it also radically alters the character of the series by making virtually all the animals speak. Holy shit. Even Wikipedia is mm, like... Radically alters. Air Buddies is Don Knotts' final film. Okay. <laughs> Went out with a bang. <laughs> I don't know how I ended up watching two Buddies movies. Patches, but... did you know that the Air Buddies get superpowers? <laughs> yes. Super Buddies. Super of buddies. course I did. Super Buddies. Okay, just making sure. What's interesting uh, is that there is some continuity of their owners, and uh, oh wow, Danny Elfman did the music for Spooky Buddies. How does he get a credit for that? Anyway, sorry, Dave. Did they just like yeah, rip off must, like yeah, Beetlejuice they must have music or something? <laughs> well, the interesting thing is like uh, the Buddy, the Airbud movies are people coming together to make trained dog movies. The Air Buddies movies are all apparently directed, produced. And written by the same gentleman. So Robert Vince is Air Buddies. Who directed MVP, Most Valuable Primate. It should be noted here. The man has a niche, right? <laughs> and, and, and that's that's what I'm lauding here. Like, I actually think Spooky Buddies, for what it is, shooting a kid's caper movie that has a dog element is, is well executed. Like, I've seen a talking cat. 
And obviously that is the worst version of this movie because it is directed by a softcore pornography director who shot it in his mansion and with <laughs> Eric Roberts doing great. the voice of the cat. <laughs> and it's horrible. Like, it could go a lot worse. Um, and I won't show my daughter that movie. But No, this is like this balls. is like good good babe quality. It is. It, moving, did she pick Spooky about. Buddies or did you pick Spooky we Buddies? We picked Spooky Buddies because we were... I was I was looking for something Halloween related that wasn't going to be intense and scary. Like I thought Nightmare Before Christmas was too Yeah. Too we had the Nightmare Before Christmas debate and didn't do it. Charlie Brown Pumpkin or no, that's not what it's called. Pumpkin. It's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown Apple yeah, TV+. Yeah, we watched that a few times cuz uh yeah, now it's exclusive to Apple TV Plus and it was easy to stream. Uh we watched uh the the monkey god damn it, George. He has a Halloween special. Oh yeah, Curious but uh, I wanted something mm-hmm. live action because you know my daughter was like really excited to dress up, and she likes seeing kids do kids things, and it's actually really hard to mm. find movies where kids act like kids, where they're not on some like weird yeah. adventure, like the house with a clock in the walls. Or you should kids. just show her Applejack's yeah. commercials where they're kids and they eat what they like. That's right. I should do that. <laughs> I, I get that reference. I don't think I, I have a hard time getting Charlie to watch not cartoons. Like it's live action stuff does not clock with him the same way that cartoons do. That's because they don't mm. make things like that. Um, it's yeah. hard, and even like Sesame Street is barely live action enough to register in that way. Anyway, I've been thinking a lot about the kids. Here's another question I have for you in this podcast. Um, this is a slight sophisticated pivot, but I think Dave's going to be into this question. We we are full in sophisticated. So I was thinking about what you're saying earlier, Katie, about trying to get people to vote. Well, one, I said this almost before the podcast, and this is just this is maybe a radical opinion. And now that the election's over, everyone everyone's ready for this. Which is like <laughs> now that we feel so like, so frustrating. Calm and confident we have to spend so much time convincing happens. people to vote. It's so frustrating. This is like Patches wind, winding up right. on a mound, and I'm just sitting in the batter's box and waiting for this Patches, one to come over when, the plate. When you say you have to spend so much time convincing people to vote, what does that mean? Not me, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was going to get to a big brain thing. I, I I, no, like I, I, I'm still not everybody should vote. I'm creating the I'm foundation here. I'm creating a okay, foundation. Okay. No, uh, Katie, listening to you, uh, and my wife has done a lot of phone banking, too, and just the amount of people who took in these last few weeks to just be like, vote, vote, vote. We have to tell everyone to vote. Um, and on one hand, it's like, good. We want to we want to be active. We want this process to be something that everyone participates in and everyone feels activated to participate in. But on, one hand, on the other hand, I'm just like, why isn't it so natural for people to do that? Like, there's, they feel either, either been disenfranchised by the system and they feel unmotivated, which sucks. Like, they do, we do need to, like, help people get the vote because they're burned out. This is so clear. Uh, and that's disappointing from the, the systematic level. Uh, but then some people, I just feel like there's people who we need to spend all of our time convincing them to vote. Like, it's worth it? Of course it's worth voting. And so that I'm just frustrated by how mo- much you have to work to make sure people are voting. Have like, you seen American Utopia? Because David Byrne uh, takes a slightly more upbeat but similarly urgent I actually have What is his? What's the take of that movie? Oh, American it's Patches. My God, yeah. American Utopia is just this gift waiting. It's for basically you. a movie about why you need to exercise your uh, constitutionally appointed right to vote. Streaming on um, HBO right now. Streaming on HBO right now. Um, 
You should watch that. I mean, A, yes, America makes it absurdly difficult for people to vote and puts all kinds of barriers in people's way. It makes it confusing. I mean, it's confusing right now of whether or not you could vote and how long you have to get it in there. Uh, and it's deliberately so, so that people, fewer people will vote. Did you know that in Canada, you don't even have to register. You just get to show up. And if you register in advance, you get like a letter in the mail to tell you when the election's coming. And that's it. Canadians, feel free to fact check me. Canadians can just like, sure that's look up in their, la- in, their, in their recliners and go, I vote for this person. And then their magical... Canadian energy enters it into the sky and it all works out. It's so magical. Yeah. Why can't that energy also, get the escalator at the Scotiabank to work, Patches, huh? Huh? Mm, <laughs> We're not reclining like it. Tiff Deep Cut. <laughs> Speaking of American Utopia. Um, but yeah, people have, I think, some valid reasons to believe that the system doesn't work for yes. them. I think there's not enough attention paid to local elections in our country, as David was saying, Dave was saying earlier about the things that are happening in his city that are only happening for people who maybe 10,000 people voted for, maybe more in Denver. Um, so part of it's like a public education thing. And yeah. also, final point, if you're me or you're Michelle or someone else who's been volunteering, there's an element of control that it feels like there is something that I can do. I feel passionately enough about this election that it's not enough for me just to vote myself. Voting was really easy. All the canvassing has been the much harder <laughs> <Yeah>. part. <laughs> but I feel like I got to do it. I feel like it's like I have the energy and the will and the drive and I can help people and it helps not to do something rather than it's not doom scrolling and it's not sitting back and feeling frustrated and like despondent about the state of our democracy. It's feeling like I have a role to so play. So here's in my it. bigger question, which is now that we're okay. past the election, it's over. What <laughs> I, what's on my mind right now is the fact that <laughs> uh, we have to keep that energy up, right? We have to keep, you now have to think about 2024, 2022. Um, and make sure that every election, baby, sure, you don't, sure. there's going to be an election. In no, your that's time absolutely right. Make sure every election feels just as important. And this, and what I'm thinking about is like kids, kids need to learn. Kids don't go out and vote. When you turn 18, when you 19 year olds, 20 year olds do not vote. And the problem is we don't tell them when they're 14 that they need to go vote. Don't you think there's a lapse there? Like, do we see culture actively courting voters who are going to vote? When they're 18, like those kids are 14 right now. Are they ready to vote? And I I, I got sucked into this I time a little bit because this. I was going down the, I was <laughs> looking at the results of Nickelodeon's kids vote. Uh, Biden won. <laughs> and Biden won, but they were hacked by bots that tried to <laughs> rig the election for Trump. Uh, <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands That's of fake really votes. That's really psychotic part. And it's, it's just psychotic. But um, I just, I think... I remember Nick News. I remember Nickelodeon. Like, how does Nickelode- how is Nickelodeon doing a better job to get people to vote than, like, public education or schools? Or, like, where? what is the lapse here? Dave, do we Dave, need Dave. pop culture to do this? The schools don't want the young people to vote. So, like, you're right. Nickelodeon is, was telling all of us to vote. I voted in a kid's choice election for Ross Perot, I think, uh, when I was in mm-hmm. elementary Brave school. Of you to admit that. On yes. brand. On brand. I mean, it just doesn't like. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Get big it ears. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Amanda Bynes did an amazing impression. I would have voted for her. But the point is, is if it's any voter that is going to be liberal, or if it's any voter that's going to be non-white, the same systems that keep that kept women out of the workplace, and uh, you know, still keep uh, black people out of different spaces is uh, working against all people, regardless of your color, to stop you from voting. Uh, the act, the the active force is pushing apathy on you. 
as a youth. Everything's hopeless. You could make it happen. Your generation is going to make it happen because that's the future. But right now, you could protest. You could, you know, tell your your friends to go out and vote. But if you actually, like, talk to, like, an 18 or a 20-year-old, uh, or at least when I, back in my time, we were still protesting George W. Bush, but I would talk to people and they'd be like, well, my vote doesn't matter because of, like, blank the electoral college or, you know, if voting really had any power, they wouldn't let you do it. And I'm like, all of those things are true, but the angle that they're being fed to you as is making you not participate when the easiest thing in the world should be just to participate. And that's... Yeah, participate and then say right. all of that stuff about how the system is rigged against you. Yeah. you got to do the first step first. And it's like, uh, if... Um, in terms of just how the math works, if you're thinking about how policies changed, how uh, elections work, your absence of a vote makes somebody else's vote count for like twice the weight because nobody's gaming for people who aren't voters. The reality is a Democratic candidate would win maybe even like further left if everyone turned out and voted. That's just the statistical reality. It has been my entire voting life. So every year we hear the same thing from the party not in power, which is that we need the young people to come out and vote. And every year the system keeps coming back and it's like, hey, young people aren't going to come out and vote. You guys fucking crazy. And so we like blame young people for not voting, but it's the entire system. They're told, uh, you know, uh, from like, there's, there's nothing that's built into the American capitalist education system that transitions out of parents know best to you're on your own now. That's mm -hmm. why people have fucking trouble balancing yep. bank accounts. That's why people have fucking trouble like living on their own and doing basic stuff. That's why people don't think that voting matters is because you're being educated to have the idea that you're being able to choose your path, but there are all these subconscious blocks being set up around you to make you think that your path is I want to write movies and I followed that path, uh, you know, for 25 years of my life and I got a job in TV and that's great. But all around me, things were happening. I lived like really close to Columbine. Obviously the 2000 election was a lot more significant than I gave it any more credit to. 9-11 happened, George W. Bush presidency, subprime mortgage crisis. I've been awake for all of these things. We didn't start the fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i've been around for all these things and protesting all of these things but the consistent message is still this idea that like um they're going to feed the young people apathy because the second they actually do show up in their actual numbers all elections will change it's over for all you bitches uh, Basically, mm -hmm. there's no reason that right. everybody, like, that all these old people who have a ton more money than you have, who have no idea how the actual real world works because they're on the other side where, you know, you either are dead from COVID or are rich enough to retire. They're the people who are uh, making the decisions basically just because they show up. And the mm -hmm. entire system is made to you know, keep the power in those white landowner hands to use a outdated term because they're now not just those. But yeah, Patches, you're completely right. Uh, but I think that what do we do? We are, what do we do? We well, got to get the you know, kids at I, Emerson to put down those buddies cassette tapes and go. Listen, out and Emerson kids, show. get your shit together. But I also, yeah. I think that it, it, it feels to me, I understand there have been get out the vote initiatives that have been run by celebrities for a very long time, but it does feel like, uh, with Obama and certainly with the Trump era, that voting 
has become framed as more of a moral imperative than anything else. Like it's been like apathy doesn't seem to be, and I am so outside of this conversation uh, in terms of like being on the ground and being 18 years old that I, I may be speaking out of my ass, but you know, from what I can tell, it Ace seems like, right, exactly. With my bent over and I'm just flapping my butt cheeks, but the, uh, I want everyone to have that visual as you continue to speak. I'm, I'm so sorry, but, um, but yeah, that the idea that like it, it is not, it is not cool to not, Vote, and I think I've been thinking a lot today about. Yeah, you know, I had come to the realization, and this is something that I, only in our very special election episode will I admit out loud that I think Taylor Swift's new album is my favorite album that's come out this year. Uh, I am not the voracious. Oh, it's so good. I am not the voracious consumer of music uh, I used to be, where I was really obsessive and up on all the cool music blogs, and and now I'm just full on dad. But uh, you know, I was thinking about how funny it was that just a couple years ago. People were talking about how she was like this closet white nationalist and uh, was a figurehead for the alt-right and all this stuff. And her song that she wrote for the documentary is at Sundance this year um, and is explicitly about you know, young people going to the polls. It's called Only the Young um, is, is really all about driving this message. And is Taylor Swift necessarily, despite her popularity, the emblem of all things cool? No. But um, I do think that you're talking about reaching 14-year-olds and it doesn't feel like a bad thing to me if a generation of 14-year-old girls, you know, growing up are are thinking that, you know, Taylor Swift says that it's cool to vote and not just in a canned way, but like, you know, she is, I think it's clear from watching her social media and listening to the song that they all know by heart that it really means something to her. She has taken very particular action against Marsha Blackburn in Tennessee. Yeah, um, she's engaged on a local yeah. level, which I think is a really and way in to states prove that it's not just about that being... are not blue, right? Like, yeah, in, in Tennessee, which is where she lives. Um, I had an article uh, last week from a writer, Kenzie Bryant, who's awesome and very smart. Just basically an obituary for the apolitical celebrity, and pegged to Jennifer Lawrence saying that she was a little bit Republican and voted for John McCain, which I think got like some backlash. I did not and hear to that. The point that she had to like, was... oh yeah, and then she had to come out and be like, I'm a proud Democrat now, and like I don't think anyone like thought she was like going to go out there and stump for Trump. But basically, the idea was what you were just saying, David, is that like celebrities are not allowed to be apolitical anymore, mm. and if well, they are, the, they're the, quiet the, about it. Which is Chris why Pratt, Chris yeah. Pratt has been, yeah. So Chris Pratt has been such a glaring presence because he isn't really he's trying not to really say anything and i think you could get away with that before the trump era in a way that you can't there, nuclear allows on me to, wait wait this allows me to put out my theory and god knows this podcast might last long enough to see this come true chris pratt will become governor oh of california but do you think uh, that what life. the do you hell think, why did you say that he, he is what? absolutely going to become governor like of california he didn't, that makes sense. he didn't marry a schwarzenegger for no okay, reason okay, he's gonna be the republican gonna, governor oh, of california he's gonna, he's gonna he's gonna be like star, the post star lord than out it, you know, yeah, no, Katie, like, just put this, write this down somewhere. To it's, your it's point about how celebrities really of any size or scale now feel compelled to, even if it's just something as simple as putting up, I don't know, something ill-advised as a black square after the death of uh, George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, and or uh, the Imagine video, or the Imagine video, or something like that. But the Imagine video was kind of more in the previous generation. Very though, like, anodyne. Like, everyone, like, let's like be in good. The previous yeah, and, generation. And there were the previous, like the before times. Well, there were the apologies made Trump for that video, time. so it did not go yeah. unnoticed. But, <laughs> um, but like it, it occurs to me that yes, I mean celebrities feel this obligation to say something, and I, I think you know it's always dangerous when you're suggesting that someone's hand has to be forced that because they're in the public eye, they 
have to say this or that, but I, I also don't think it's unfair to say that someone, I mean, given how polarized and how stark the differences are between, you know, potential futures we have laid out before us right now, I don't necessarily know if I think it's unfair to say that you abdicate, you, like it's, it's a moral abdication of some kind to not use that platform. In a positive capacity. Yeah, because we're, I mean, like, celebrities are powerful in a way that I think many people are becoming more and more aware that they are not. And if you see someone who is powerful, you deserve to know how they're using well, especially it. Especially for yeah, it's the just young like, generation who political. are trying to convince vote. Like, the, maybe the most yeah. encouraging thing I've seen all election cycles, like, BTS stands doing yeah. this and that. Like, that's, that, <laughs> I, if that means they're being activated, then it's, I guess that's a good thing. Patches. That's been dynamite. Is all I can say. That song that. kicks ass, uh, and I know that a lot of controversy that they had to like make an English language song to hit big in America. But I can't stop listening to dynamite and that uh, it's, little desk got the tiny desk concert they did with NPR. The and it's also it is like dad, it slaps dad pop. Music. It's in a commercial yeah, that is just like constantly dynamite. playing. Uh, but but you know it's not. It's one thing if you're talking about like an event that's over a weekend or a flash movement and a certain celebrity happened to be on location or spending time with their children or whatever and missed the hashtag wave. But when you're talking about presidential oh, elections sure, yeah. that have been running for years on end, to remain, you know, to remain apolitical is a very conscious and um, explicit choice at this point. And privileged choice. Oh, sure. I think I, that's something we've also become really aware of. It's something I like. I definitely had to come around to as an adult, that like the idea of being like, I used to really follow politics. Like, that's the that's don't pertain to privilege. me. Um. Yeah. And like, and they do, but you, if you were able to pretend that they don't, then, then you have privilege. Then you won. You won, you won somewhere yeah. a few years then back you and you're doing okay. Although I, we, mm-hmm. You know, you, you mentioned this earlier today when we were talking off podcast, Katie, about you can't be the person who says I don't read the news. That's for that's I just stay out of all this stuff. Like you can't be that person. But in this future, this post-election future, I hope that people can also not be um, news like have the news pumping into their veins twenty four seven. I don't feel like it's ultimately helpful to be a, a CNN or MSNBC junkie if you only take it in on social media. Like this has been the most overwhelming time in in my life just with the amount of media that we get is it I, I don't think it's apathy to not want to engage with the news on the level that the internet forces us to is it don't tell, tell me yeah so that I, I mean i walk i have specifically decided that like on most things with the supreme court i'm just not going to engage like the supreme court is making gonna make decisions so i'm going to read about them but like i just don't want to read about like how alito is likely to like lean in a decision like i'm just gonna let people who know more about it do that for me and i think everyone after the election gets to make some choices about what they want to deeply engage in and what they want to like just read as an informed news consumer i think that's fair yeah i i'm gonna come out of this with uh basically a clean slate of news sources because everybody at this point has done something to piss me off um (laughs) i've unsubscribed from so many print papers and subscribed to so many different print papers and then contemplated unsubscribing from those print papers um, I need to reestablish somehow uh, what a baseline of news is under whatever the next presidency is. Hopefully that means I can look outside of it. But I do think that I'm not against... This has always been the side effect of the social media age is just that possibility of too much information. And I do think that our generation is um, maybe not... It doesn't feel super adaptable, but we are still capable of adapting. It's not like our parents who are probably, you know get them to use the newest app and 
use it on their iPad, and that's basically what we could hope for. I think we we have to learn how to squelch uh, the wave of news that comes in uh, without disengaging, because I think it. I think the the other boon to this is uh, like you know pre our generation, uh, the monoculture could steer this a lot easier, and I think that's dangerous. Uh, not that I don't want us to all be watching Game of Thrones at the same time because that's super fun, but in terms of like nightly news or whatnot, you know, uh, a few news anchors tell you something and you take it as fact. Yeah. Uh, the, the internet's blown that up. Uh, maybe we can't trust anybody, but I'm hoping there's going to be a, some positive total where like like panning for gold. If we swish around the water enough, we'll find like the nuggets. Yeah, but I also like, think, you know, know what you were saying. Well, but let's not retweet Jake Tapp. That's all matter. Okay. Sure. Yeah. But, don't re- don't retweet news don't people. Retweet Follow news. Don't people. retweet anyone who hosts twenty four hour news. Anyone who's on t- anyone who's on yeah. television. But I think that you know we were talking about things you have to teach children and have to engage them in the idea of voting when they're of age. I think you know one of the most critical things you can teach children, apropos of what Dave was just saying, is about critical thinking. Um, and I think you know it's always a, a left brain right brain thing when it comes to parsing the news. And I think something that's been interesting to me the last four years is how my respect for an institution like the New York Times has been challenged on a frequent basis uh, by their op-ed contributors, but also by the way they frame certain stories. Of course, famously, there were certain choices they made on their front page around the eve of the 2016 election and so forth. But at the same time, when a world event of any importance happens or when I want to find a certain kind of analysis, I understand in my head that the New York Times is the most trusted and preeminent source of getting that information. And I think it's not a skill because that would be too flattering to myself, but I think it's like a basic element of common sense that people can negotiate and navigate the relationships with certain outlets in their heads like that and understand you know, that the left arm and right arm might not necessarily be speaking to each other. Um, and think about news that way. I think I think that's an increasingly essential thing that people need to be able to do. Like you may not, you may be sick of people retweeting Jake Tapper, but you know that if uh, you're watching TV and CNN says that Trump has COVID, that you believe it unquestionably. So I, mean, I think those are important distinctions. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be baseline reality. It's going to be interesting. Well, yeah. It's going to be interesting whatever reality we're reforming into. Uh, but I hope that the end result uh, of all of this, uh, regardless of the outcome of this particular election, is uh, just more vigilance and more specific vigilance. I think a lot of us uh, did a really good job of uh, these past four years uh becoming extra uh, aware of political issues that we could either uh, be involved with uh, or that we cared about. And then there was also 50,000 other horrible things that happened on every other side of the polyhedron that you could get angry about. So I would just say, like, keep the focus on the one that you discovered you really care about, whether it's good or bad. We're going to need to hold all the fronts that we possibly can with just smart people who are voting. And I'm assuming if you've listened to this 
hour of us talking about nothing, avoiding the fact that we're all super stressed out about whatever reality you're living through right now. <laughs> I mean, I guess in some ways it's the good and the bad thing, but no matter who won the election, um, the resistance doesn't go away. The progressive movement doesn't go away. MAGA doesn't go away. White supremacy in America doesn't go away. Both forces contending for the control of this world that we live in are, are both active. Oh, boy. Um, no, I mean, that's that's that should give you some hope, no, right? It, like, it, it doesn't matter who won the election in some way um, because both sides <laughs> will coexist into the future and the, the battle is not over. Yeah, there's a like a... 80% chance right now that uh, there's looting happening in some city as you're listening to this. I just don't know who's looting. Yeah. Welcome, welcome Dave, to America. Dave, it's, it's the capitalists. Dave, who are it's, That's right. Actually, it's true. Oh, I mean, okay. <laughs> it's the unheard. It's the unheard who are rioting. No, I mean, it is whatever. I, we don't need to open yeah, it does, uh, It is, it is gonna, absolutely yeah. the capitalists who are looting. And I know Katie yeah, no, was, was saying like, that. Sort of being, it was like sort of teasing, but like, yeah, obviously that it's the corporations that are looting. Yeah, obviously, always. But, it's Jeff Bezos who is looting. Yeah. Always. Anyway, uh, now that we are back to the most obvious talking points, that feels like a good point to. Uh, Call it a day. Any other movies, TV shows, anything else that you guys have been watching? Oh, no, I think we're fine. Here's okay. what we're going to do. Everyone's going to say just their Twitter handle because I don't think I'm going to encourage anybody to go online right now. But if you did, <laughs> Katie, where can people find you? Katie Rich, K-A-G-E-Y-R-C-H. Patches, where can people find you? At Mr. Patches. David, where can people find you? David at David Earl at K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. <laughs> and I'm Dave with the 7 D-A-7-E. Uh, we will see you guys next week, and we love you. Keep me where I belong. All wrapped up in wrong.